in Air Algerie 737-200 is doing a flight out of Taman Reset when something goes wrong. What caused this flight to crash so soon after takeoff? Welcome back to the Hard Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. And I'm Christy. Hey. Hello. Hello. We need to thank patrons. Yes. At least one. Yes. Welcome, Carmen. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. For being a patron. We appreciate it. And all merch will be sent out tonight. Shortly. Yeah. As we're recording this. So if you have not gotten it yet, please let us know. It is getting sent out. So if you have not received it yet, you should be receiving it. Unless we are seeing you in the near future and then we will just bring you your merch. You know who you are. (laughs) So you'll have to wait a little bit longer. You'll get over it. Also, we should be sending out ducks, too, if you have ducks and you haven't gotten them yet. Oh, many ducks. They are sitting squished in front of us. You are all getting squished ones now because postage. It literally decreases it by half. So Yes, just by having a slightly smaller package. Squish. So you're going to have to cut them open. Have fun. But you'll have free ducks. They will reinflate. Yes, they will. I'm on ADHD meds as of today. It's been great. I'm having a fantastic day in case you are all were wondering yes good i've never been so productive in years great stories for march are lucky stories yes or again you can just tell us a story by the time you hear this episode it's like last last call yeah like it might be part of april we've only gotten two stories and guess who they're from david david but he does he does tell good stories though yeah but we can't have an episode of just all david i'm pretty sure we have done that we have but we don't have enough currently to do that (laughs) i know some of y'all got some good luck stories out there yeah send them to us or again just other stories. stories tell me a story tell us a story tell us your favorite travel story too yeah just anything anything doesn't matter doesn't have to even pertain to aviation just send us a story all that information's on the website under the listener stories tab or you can email us i think that's all the housekeeping right i think so i think that's probably it all right so what are we covering today nick today we are covering air algier flight 6289 thank you to Dottie and to our patron bob for recommending this episode yes thanks this one was definitely an odd one. It'll also be a bit short, but it was different. I definitely didn't know this one. I definitely feel like it's not very well known. Oh, I, I got some throwbacks, though. Like, I yeah. reference stuff. This accident occurred on March 6th of 2003. So not that long ago. Not terribly long ago, no. In this millennium. Nearly 20 years ago. That's weird. I don't like that. So it's not that recent. I don't like that at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's actually almost exactly 19 years ago. From the time we're recording this. March 6th of 03. Yeah. Today that we're recording is March 14th. So there you go. This was a Boeing 737-200 with a tail number 7-Tango-Victor Echo Zulu. 737-200 has the cigar engines. This was one of the OG 737s. So it had the cigar engines, the same ones that they had on the DC-9. The whole point of that was it was supposed to be very low to the ground so they could work on these engines. So they were very, very low mounted engines. They still, they still are. are. But these engines were specifically very low to the ground, and they stuck out both sides of the wing. The 737 is known for having engines very low to the ground, which has caused problems. Yes. 
Anyway. This was a flight from Taman Raset to Gardaya to Algiers. The captain, unknown name, 48 years old. He had 10,760 hours total, of which 1,087 hours were on the 737. The first officer was Yusfai Fatima, or Fatima. I've heard both. Yes. Yep. She was 44 years old at the time. She had 5,219 hours total, of which 1,292 hours were on the 737. So you actually had more hours on the 737, but half as many hours total. Also, she was the daughter of a former Ministry of Energy and Foreign Affairs for Algeria. Oh. So she's the daughter of a former diplomat for the country. Gotcha. Interesting. In Taman Reset, six crews and 97 passengers boarded the plane for the two-stop trip. The flight was delayed by three hours in departing for the first leg. The first officer was to be the pilot flying, while the captain was to be the pilot monitoring for this leg. At 3.01 p.m. and 37 seconds, the crew requested startup clearance. 3.08 p.m. and 36 seconds, the air traffic controller gave the flight instructions to taxi to runway 02 that included entering and back taxiing down the runway. This is kind of common in some of these smaller airports. But a la Tenerife. Yes. There are... More airports that have this type of configuration where you have to backtrack than there are not in the world. I don't like that. Commercial airports in the world, the majority have you back taxi. To be fair, usually there's only one plane yeah. on the runway when that happens, unlike Tenerife, where they were sending two 747s down at the same time. Yes. Well, and in that situation, it wasn't a back taxi airport. That no. was an irregular operation they were having to do because there were so many airplanes on the taxiways. Yeah, still, I don't like it. Yes, agreed. 3.13 p.m. and 30 seconds, the first officer stated to the air traffic controller, we're ready, quote unquote, that was it. You want to say it in French? I got it in French if you want it in French. I'm good. Mind you, most of this is in French, even the controller clearances and such. This is a former French territory, for those that don't know. So they speak French. So they speak French. But I also feel like controller and crew communications aren't they supposed to be in english yes and no in certain parts of the world they will still use native language which to some extent if everybody speaks the same language is okay i guess it can make it easier to understand well and then there's no miscommunications because not everybody speaks english or speaks english well it's better to speak a language that everyone knows well enough to speak to each other than trying to speak broken english i.e in russia unless they're A foreign crew, they all speak Russian. Gotcha. So, this is not entirely uncommon in the world, but per ICAO practice, in most cases, they're supposed to be using English. Yes. Thank you. One second later, the air traffic controller cleared the flight for takeoff. 3.13 p.m. and 36 seconds, so only a few seconds later. The flight announced takeoff. That was just a thing. That's not normal. I don't know. Okay. That's literally all it said to the reporters. Like, the flight announced takeoff. Hold on. Let me see what they actually said. Yes. If they said that over, like, the radio, I don't... That's really unnecessary. I mean, you repeat back and say, cleared for takeoff in the runway. What Google Translate says it is, is mm-hmm. go takeoff. It, the CVR is also really bad about indicating if what they're saying is over the radio or not, so I'm assuming that's the phrase you're referring to. Probably. My guess in this case is either this was a communication between the two flight crew saying setting takeoff power, or taking off. Or, if they were talking to the air traffic controller, that this was more of the readback. So this was them acknowledging. They began their takeoff roll, and they sped down the runway. Callouts were made normally, and the airplane rotated normally. However, 
five seconds after rotation. Simultaneous with the call for the gear retraction, three loud thumps were heard in the airplane. The airplane also suddenly began yawing and turning to the left, but this was quickly corrected by the flight crew. At that time, the captain announced that he was taking control of the airplane. Moments later, the first officer reported to the air traffic controller, quote, We have a small problem, end quote. Are they already in the air at this point? Yes. yes. Okay. Barely. The aircraft climbed to about 400 feet above the ground. That was where it peaked. All the while, the speed had peaked at about 160 knots and was decreasing quickly as they ascended. The airplane quickly reached stall speed and the stick shaker activated. That's as they reached the 400 foot mm -hmm. mark. An oral warning began sounding in the cockpit. Don't sink. Don't sink. And continued to the end of the flight. Yes, it did. Six seconds later, the airplane struck the ground on the right side with the landing gear still extended. The airplane immediately burst into flames as it slid through the airport perimeter fence, then crossing a road before finally coming to a halt in flames in many pieces. The control tower witnessed the crash and immediately sounded the alert for an emergency to the emergency services. The crash and fire was so severe that 96 passengers and six crew perished in the accident pretty much immediately, unfortunately. Ooh. However, a big however, one passenger was found away from the wreckage, unconscious and in a coma, and seriously injured. The passenger, a 28-year-old Algerian soldier, was rushed to the hospital where he woke up and eventually made a full recovery. The sole survivor was supposedly seated at the rear of the airplane with no seatbelt on and was miraculously thrown free from the airplane upon impact as the airplane broke apart, which ultimately saved that passenger's life. This is rare. I do not advise this. Never. The, the odds of that actually ending well, this is probably the only it's person like, that will ever he, yeah. he took to. that chance. A million to one. Like, there's a bigger billion, than that. A billion to one. That, I Ten mean, billion to one. I don't know. This guy... The amount of stuff that could have gone wrong with that. By far and away, probably the luckiest person that decade. Another note, this flight number still used by the same airline on the same route to this day. I don't like that. That's Looked not great. it up today and there was a flight from Taman Reset to Algeria with the same flight number by the same airline. For those of us who are superstitious, I really don't like that. When stuff like that happens in the US and there's been fatalities, usually they don't use that flight number again. Yes. Usually. Usually. American Airlines 383 says due to that though. Yes. Well, after multiple accidents, <laughs> It was time to retire that one. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, in most cases, too, if it's very famous and people like know the flight number, you don't want to go buy that number, fly that flight <laughs> on that number. It feels weird to hop on the same route with the same number. That is how quick everything happened. This investigation was performed by the National Commission of Inquiry, by the Ministry of Transport, by the Democratic People's Republic of Algeria, with lots of assistance from the BEA, as well as the NTSB, since the United States was the country and manufacturer of the aircraft, and the FAA, Boeing, and Pratt & Whitney also aided the investigation. Makes sense. They are all involved in the airplane. Yep. Both black boxes were recovered from the wreckage and were able to be read out. Given that Algeria did not have its own investigation authority, the black boxes were sent to the BEA for analysis. Given the brevity of the report, I'm not sure of the exact sequence of the investigation, but I do know that one of the first things investigators do is get witness statements, and they have at least two of them in the report. The first is from a ground technician who worked on the accident aircraft. Fantastic. Tragic. Awful. Yes. 
Quote, I was on the parking lot and I saw the plane take off on runway 02. Just after takeoff, the plane swerved slightly to the left, then righted itself on the track, and at that moment, I noticed that the plane was losing speed and altitude, still with its landing gear down until the moment of the crash where there was a total explosion, end quote. In case you're wondering, the airplane ended up only about 1,645 meters from the point that they lifted off and 12 degrees off of the center line to the left. They did not make it very far. Not at all. The next testimony came from the controllers in the tower. Quote, Seven Tango Victor Echo Zulu asked to be cleared for takeoff 1402 GMT, which is... That was UTC. UTC. And it's an hour later than UTC. So it's... Well, re- they, they gave in their witness statement, they gave times in UTC. Yeah. At after the takeoff from runway 02 at 1405, a kind of explosion was heard. The alarm was immediately activated. The pilot said, we have a small problem. The plane began to fall and crash near the threshold of runway 20. The emergency plan was immediately activated as planned. Aerodrome rescue services at 1415. Civil services at 1416. Hospital just afterwards. Then the rest of the services mentioned in the emergency plan. End quote. So everyone got there promptly. Yes. Well, that's certainly interesting. Something seems to have exploded. Yep. And the first thought would be the engines. Not a bad thought. That would certainly explain the turn, if that was the case. The engines and accessories were sent to Brussels. Hmm. Okay. To a specialized SNECMA laboratory, which stands for the Safran Aircraft Engine Company. Upon examination, it was found that the rotating parts of the cold or the front sections of both engines had deformation, more so on the right engine. This means that the left engine wasn't generating as much thrust on impact, which makes sense since they listed to the left. The hot section of engine one, the left engine, meaning the combustion section of the engine, showed damaged components, and some of the components were found on the runway. There was no evidence of foreign object damage, such as a bird, or as a very specific example, pieces of a DC-10. Not that we've seen that before or anything. No, not at all. Not maybe on a Concorde accident. Episode 19, Cough Cough. Of specific note, the nozzle guide vanes, or NGVs as I will call them henceforth, of the high-pressure turbine were severely damaged. Seven blades were broken off at the root, and the remaining blades were broken in a bell shape. Several blades had overheated but not quite melted. The blades of the NGV-2 in the low-pressure turbine were also all destroyed with some significant deposits of melted metal. Lovely. Hot. Yeah. These observations are particularly interesting because this was not the case on the right engine. The blades of NGV-1 were in perfect condition, which is odd given that it, you know, crashed. So a deeper dive on engine 1 was in order, particularly a metallurgical analysis. Good plan. This analysis found cracks on the leading edge of two blades of NGV-1 on the left engine. These cracks were relatively flat without traces of corrosion, which means fatigue! (laughs) (laughs) I actually wrote it in my notes that way, too. We revisit fatigue. (laughs) Welcome back to the fatigue podcast. (laughs) I am fatigued. We always always (laughs) loop it back around. Yep. So since we haven't really talked about it in a while, let's go over what that means. There are two different kinds of fracture failure, overload and fatigue. Let's take a piece of plastic and just pull it till it breaks. The edge of that break is going to be really jagged because it failed in overload. The stress on the material was just too great. Fatigue is a bit different. Let's take that same piece of plastic and pull on it, but not so hard that it breaks. Looks fine. Let's do it again. 
and again, and keep doing it thousands of times. What's happening at a very small level is there's a micro crack that starts somewhere for whatever reason, and the crack grows just a little bit every time you pull or stress that plastic. Eventually, the crack has grown so much and weakened the part that it just suddenly breaks. But that edge will be pretty straight and flat compared to the overloaded part, because the crack grew just a little bit at a time over thousands of stresses. That's kind of what happened here, except this was thermal fatigue. This occurs as a part is heated up and cooled down numerous times, and the expanding and contracting of the material with heat causes internal stresses, and then you get a micro crack that propagates until it reaches the critical length and fails. Just a little review, in case you're new here. I don't know. Micrographic examination showed that the high-pressure turbine blades were very old and had a high operating time, giving them the potential for... Fatigue. Yep. At least one blade failure caused the subsequent ones and were pulled further back into the engine, destroying the low pressure turbine and causing the loss of power and engine rotation speed. This stopped the flow of air in the combustion chamber, leading to high temperatures and melting the NGV of the low pressure spool. Yep, that's bad. Yeah. Very bad. Very. Can confirm. And that's all investigators really talk about as far as the mechanical failure. They don't go into the how or the why. Just that it happened. I mean, to be fair. Because that's not all that happened. And that isn't what should lead to a crash. If this happens to most crews, you can at this point in the flight continue with one engine, just come back around and land. Right. So what went wrong? Specifically, crews are trained for this. Engine failure at takeoff. For this, we're going to go to the CBR. From this, investigators found that the first officer carried out all of the flight preparation by herself. Not good. Because the captain arrived late. Not good. She then asked the captain if she could perform the flight leg, which he agreed to. The chief flight attendant came into the cockpit from time to time during flight preparation and during takeoff to speak with the captain. This was of particular note because while the first officer was doing the pre-takeoff briefing and was going over the reference speeds for takeoff, she was interrupted by the captain conversing with the chief flight attendant, whose body was subsequently found in the cockpit. So while they were taking off, they were not strapped down to a seat like they should have been. And we're probably in the cockpit. Talking while they should be focusing on figuring out speeds and an important phase of flight. This is a highly critical phase In case, you know, an engine fails. So, we've talked about before how absolutely vital sterile cockpit procedures are during takeoff and landing phases of flight. Sterile cockpit means that the only thing you're talking about is the task at hand and is in place for all altitudes below 10,000 feet. Just to recap on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What's something that could happen and did happen during a lack of sterile cockpit? The crew did not discuss potential anomalies during takeoff as required by Air Algeria procedures and what to do in such an event. Therefore, the crew is not psychologically prepared for an emergency on takeoff. Correct. So that sucks. I took the liberty of translating the CVR using Google Translate. So... Only the, you know, best of resources. (laughs) It is not going to be phenomenal, but that's okay. I will read all of the CBR transcript that was in the report, kind of interspersed through my analysis. Starting with this. First officer, we're ready 6289, which in French is so difficult to translate. Yes. ATC, Taman Reset authorizes you to line up and take off on runway 02, 330 in force 12 knots. First officer, well received. We line up and take off on runway 02, Air Algeria 6289. So can we stop for a second? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because she is the one doing the takeoff, correct? Uh-huh. So she also shouldn't be doing radios. Uh-huh. That should be the captain's uh-huh. problem. Correct. So he's just flat out not doing uh-huh. his job. Correct. She's doing everything. Uh-huh. 
Just wanted to point that out. Uh-huh. Okay. Yes. Move on. Thank you for clarifying. We take off zero two. All set for takeoff. Authorized. Captain responds. Authorized. Flaps one. First officer. Flaps one. All set. There's an engine power up noise. Stabilized. Noise in position. I don't know what that means, but that's what it translated. I think it just means loud noise heard during this time. Captain, come on, let it go. Go take off. And then there were sounds like rolling and moving objects, you know, sounds of takeoff. Mm -hmm. First officer said, I have. Captain said, you have 9100. And then there's metallic noises. Captain, V1, rotate. More metallic noises. First officer, gear up. But just as she's saying that at the end, there is a popping sound. The popping sound was where all of their troubles began. This was where airplane parts were found on the runway and is where the left engine had a contained burst. Which is a good thing. I mean, it's designed to contain it. The engine did what it was supposed to do. This created a tendency to yaw to the left. This was also where crew resource management broke down entirely. Uh, Did it even exist to begin with? No. Um, It gets worse. The captain did not read back the order to retract the landing gear and did not, in fact, retract the landing gear. So there was extra drag. Yes. You might have noted. Way to jump ahead of my everything. (laughs) Hello. I know. The first officer made an exclamation. There was then electrical interference on the microphones. Mm -hmm. By the way, they're using hand mics. That's weird. I mean, this is legal. You're allowed to. But yeah, it's not great. The first officer then in Arabic said, God hears, God hears, God hears. And then in French said, what is happening? I I would also like to know. Yeah. There were more metallic sounds and a repetitive noise similar to the movement of the trim wheel. There was no conversation about the failure, no call-outs for speed, climb rate, trim, anything. There was literally zero CRM. Great. But I just read most of what happened for eight seconds. Yep. And then it gets worse. Eight seconds into the failure, the captain took over the controls of the aircraft without the first officer asking him to do so and without declaring that he was doing so. Right. Wait, he didn't say he was taking over? No. (sighs) Investigator specifically said, quote, It is impossible to know what led to this decision. Did the captain notice that the co-pilot was having difficulties controlling the airplane? Or did he at least believe so? Did he prefer to take back control, reckoning that it was his responsibility as captain? It is not possible to know whether his taking over the controls was not preceded by an input on the controls, end quote. Well, he's not doing a hell of a good job before this, so who would know? So this next part, French is weird, and I'm going with the translation I believe to be correct. The captain said, let go, let go. The first officer said, I let go, I let go. The captain said, leave it alone, leave it alone. The first officer said, gear up or else. And then over the radio said, we have a little problem, uh, 6289. To which I'm like, nah, really? A little problem? The stick shaker then activated for a second, paused, and then activated for another half second. The captain said, let go, take your hand off. First officer said, I let go, I let go. Captain said, remove your hand. The first officer said, I let go. She's not touching it. She is. And then the don't sink GPWS alarm sounded and was followed by a noise similar to the stick shaker until the end of the recording. The first officer said, and I didn't have to translate this one, please. I know how to say that. Yep. The captain said, remove your hand. And that was the end of the recording. 
So the captain did not rely on his co-pilot and asked her simply several times for her to let go of the controls. The first officer assured him that she did and indicated her willingness to act by asking about the gear retraction and reaching out to air traffic control, but she wasn't sure of her role. Investigators surmise that she may have placed her hands on the controls in the absence of anything else to do, which may have been why the captain kept asking her to let go. She was not fulfilling her duties as pilot not flying when she could have been calling out speeds. But the captain also didn't respond to her request to retract the gear, which, per the checklist, was the correct thing to do. In fact, it was absolutely vital, as Miranda alluded to. When taking off with a single engine failure, procedure is to climb with the gear retracted and with safety speed V2 until you're at the prescribed safety altitude. Why with the gear retracted? You only have one source of thrust right now, and you want to add drag to the equation? Absolutely not. Yeah. Bad. To make matters worse, the airport had a high altitude, all on its own, the aircraft was near its maximum takeoff weight, and it was hot outside. Oh, so everything that could have, like, hindered that, hindered that. And on top of that, they were using flaps one, which... Isn't enough. To me, does not seem like enough at all. No. So, we're not set up for success here. The captain's decision to take over controls before evaluating the situation and developing a strategy doomed them. The aircraft's performance deteriorated rapidly as a result of the non-retraction of the gear, so now they have a decreasing airspeed at a high pitch angle and therefore angle of attack. What does that sound like? A stall! Yep. Airplanes fly because of the shape of their wing. The wing shape creates a high pressure under the wing when air moves over the wing. The higher the airspeed, the higher the lift. There comes a point where too low of airspeed means no more lift. The situation is worsened if the angle of the wing is higher than the airflow, which happened in this case because the captain was so focused on climbing that he did not notice his decreasing airspeed. The plane began to drop from the sky, inciting the ground proximity warning system alarm of don't sink until impact. And there's no way to recover that. They're so close to the ground. Yeah, they were screwed. Once yep. it started stalling, there was nothing they could do. Investigators not. basically said that if they had retracted the gear, they at least had a chance. Yep. You mean if he was doing his job? Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't go back to why this episode was recommended in the first place. Dottie requested this episode as well as next week's episode specifically with regards to the sexism involved. This accident definitely didn't have the outrageous and blatant behavior that was present for U.S. Bangla Flight 211, but I think it would be an injustice to discount it entirely as a factor. No, there was no explicit sexism, but the possibility of implicit sexism exists and remains a hardship for women, transgender, non-binary, and gender-fluid folk all through aviation today. All gender identities belong on flight crews and on cabin crews. Gender should never be a barrier, whether it be the cockpit, the cabin, the control tower, or the tarmac. I'm yeah. not going to do it because it's brand new, but cue the mic drop. <laughs> there you go. It's one of those things where now I kind of understand where it's coming from. Because, first of all, this captain was ridiculously unprofessional. From the get-go, he's not on time. Right. So the first officer has to do all the prep by herself. Right. He's not doing his job. She's right. the one doing all the radio calls, probably the one doing all the checklists and all the double checking that two pilots are supposed to be doing. Right. He's not following directions on what he's supposed to be doing after they start flying and then decides that he's going to take over the aircraft without announcing it. Yep. And then constantly yell at the first officer to take her hands off the control column, instead of giving her clear instructions on what she should be doing, since she seemed fairly confused. Yes. And also talking with a flight attendant who shouldn't be in the cockpit to begin with. Right. And also, she has more hours on the airplane. Yeah. And also, both of them have over 5,000 hours, which by, is a lot of experience. By anyone's standards. Yes. So, 
even though he had double the hours total, she still had over 5,000 hours. That makes her really experienced. And therefore, she should be respected, and you should be doing your job. Now, granted, she did seem a little flustered at and the don't... transfer of responsibility, which didn't really happen. Yeah, so I understand that, because it wasn't completely clear, right? And she had been the only one doing everything up to this point. Which, so, of course, she's going to get confused. Which shows, from an airline perspective, that CRM was non-existent. No. Because, in most situations... That wouldn't that, happen. That wouldn't have been any kind of sexism or anything. That just would have been a situation where whoever it be wouldn't have done all of these actions. They would have waited for the other flight crew member to actually complete most of the actions because that is part of CRM. Yeah. That's how you set up good CRM before you even start the engines. Well, and unlike a few weeks ago where we talked about the kind of a similar thing happening with Alitalia, with mm-hmm. a, someone being in the cockpit and having it not be sterile cockpit and all mm-hmm. that stuff... It's similar, but she is not in the captain's seat. So it, it. I'm assuming, and again, assuming is not great, and so take this with a grain of salt, but she can't ask the flight attendant to go leave because technically the captain's the one who's supposed to be, quote unquote, in charge of that cockpit. Yeah. So, and he is the one who's showing that- It's okay. It's okay, And she's probably just trying to focus on getting the airplane off the ground. Correct. So, I don't know. I I really don't like this, (laughs) like, at all. No, the whole thing just... The whole thing deteriorated very fast. It just went really bad. It went really bad. There were so many things that went so wrong. Now, I'm not saying that the first officer is scot-free. No. No. She did not not. complete, after the, the transfer kind of, of responsibilities, she did not help the situation. No, there right? are things that she could have done. She yes. could, if she had called out speeds, maybe the captain would have noticed that their speed was, I don't know, dropping. If she had retracted the gear herself. Which she could have done. She could have done. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of things that she could have done to help the situation. I'm not saying that she's completely not to blame here, but of the two people in the cockpit, I think the captain's more at fault than she is. I guess I think both of them did a horrible job. <laughs> yes. But that was for a variety of reasons. <laughs> I agree with all of that. It doesn't help that they had a, you know, engine failure on takeoff. Which I'm right. still concerned about. Yeah, that's a little not great. I mean, the engines are old. They were very old. So Also, reading translated reports is hard. And they say at the beginning, but if there's any question on translation to refer to the original, listen, I don't speak French. But when you tell me that a crack is covered up by Coke, I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? Hey, whatever floats your boat, right? That's what it said. That's great. C-O-K-E. I don't know how to take that. That reminds me of like dumping Diet Coke on your engine to clean it off. Yeah. Oh, I was thinking like cocaine, but... (laughs) That too. Yeah, I don't But I feel like that wouldn't hold anything together. I don't think that any of that is actually what the situation was. If you Um, speak French, let us know. If you speak French, go find the original report because this one's in English, but I... That one question gave me pause. (laughs) And I know a few of y'all do speak French, so... We have French... We have Canadian listeners too. Get on it. Help. It's, it's probably not coping. We need assistance. This isn't as bad as uh, turtles, turtles and electricity. Yeah. Electricity. Period. But I still have questions. Yeah. We're going to take a break now. Okay. We're back. This part's not going to be very long. So earlier I said that I used Google Translate. One of the phrases that may or may not confuse people, uh-huh. just kind of an FYI, 
You remember how the captain was repeatedly saying, let go, let go? Yes. That phrase in French also means coward. So, yeah. I don't let go, I'm pretty sure, is what I'm was pretty being sure, said. Considering that she had her hands on the controls, yeah. Assumedly. Probably. And she was responding. I let go. I let go. Right. Yeah. In such a way. But I just want to make that clear that if I mistranslated that or you think I mistranslated that, let me know and blame Google. Fair enough. For the findings, there were actually quite a few, but most of it's just a summary of what happened exactly. So I'm not going to hit those ones. I am going to hit what I felt was important to note. As you are wont to do. So normally, again, we would normally skip the first couple, but I'm not going to. Okay. They found that the airplane was certificated, equipped, and maintained in accordance with the existing regulations. Um, how? It was. I mean, the engine was just that old. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about before where it's gone through a sea check or a big check and mm-hmm. no cracks have been seen. This is 2003. I mean, I think it said that one of the engines had 22,000 hours on it. Maybe the engine shouldn't be in use then. Was that ever even considered? Probably, but here's the thing. This was 2003, and uh, those old engines weren't exactly, well, easy to be found on the market. I don't care. Then decommission the plane. Yeah, but they didn't have money to do that. I don't care. Okay. They care. Clearly, they care. (laughs) Over 100 people's families would say otherwise. They were doing what they could to maintain the airplane. To be fair. And they were maintaining it. It was not just the fatigue on the blades that caused this to go so wrong. No. No. But still. I mean, you have to take into consideration the whole situation because the f- there's been times where we've talked about fatigue that it's just fatigue that caused everything yes. to go wrong. This is not the case. Honestly, if you ask me, the fact that this JT-8D was so old and the fact that it lasted this long should have been a testament to actually how good that engine was. Yes, but then it's pretty much like a given that it's going to burst. Like a yes. fan blade is going to fail. And that's exactly what happened. Yes. Well, and they probably decommissioned a lot of the <laughs> old aircraft after well, this. yes, mind you, the 737-200 in their fleet didn't last much longer. Yeah. Next, they found that the airplane was airworthy. There were no deferred maintenance issues. So there weren't at the time, actually. They had all the maintenance issues taken care of. And there was a maintenance issue that had been fixed prior to it flying to Taman Reset in, while it was in Algiers. So they had already fixed a separate issue. They retired all of their 737-200s in 2006. There you go. So they only lasted another three years. So, yeah, they were old. but And they had them since 1969. Yep, old. But if they were well-maintained, they last a really long time. They obviously flew the crap out of these airplanes. Obviously. They found that the chief flight attendant spoke directly to the captain during flight preparation and taxi, which is all around just bad. As we've talked about before. Yeah. Uh, his body was found draped over the center console. Yeah, that's not good. Like, he was in the cockpit. Mm-hmm. They found that the pre-startup and pre-takeoff checklists were not performed. I was going to say, but with a, a captain that's not doing his job... I mean, it should have been a sign when they also didn't do any emergency procedures. Yeah. A. B, maybe their flaps would have been out more. Maybe they could have gotten more lift, and maybe... I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of if, ands, or buts in there. Yep. The, the whole thing is, is they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Right. They found that immediately after the co-pilot's request to retract the landing gear, the HP turbine on the left engine suffered a... Which stands for high pressure. Yes, high pressure. A failure that led to a sudden loss of thrust and led the airplane to yaw. 
Landing gear retraction was not carried out, which increased drag significantly. Yeah. They mentioned that piece specifically, so I thought that was interesting because it's like, yeah, they wanted to hit hard on the landing gear piece. Physics. Physics. They found that debris from the left engine was found on the runway near the area where the airplane lifted off. So that shows that the engine failure happened almost immediately upon takeoff. They found that there was no communication between the captain and the co-pilot concerning an emergency situation. So... Literally, neither one of them ever even brought up the fact that they were in an emergency situation. Nope. I mean, it happened really fast, and they both were kind of flustered. Let me look at the timestamps just to give an idea of how fast this happened. Gear up was called for at 14 minutes and 52 seconds. Oh, and the crash was 11 seconds later. It happened very fast. That's incredibly fast. It's almost, like I said, because they were so flustered, it was almost like they didn't have time to think about the fact that Yes, when CRM already didn't exist before takeoff, it basically didn't help the situation when they needed it the most. Yep. Because in those 11 seconds, there was no crew resource management at all. There was no helping that situation, and unfortunately, they were pretty much doomed, even though there were ways they could get out of it. That's all I'm going to do for findings, even though there's... That was only like a third of them. Those are like the big ones. Yes. What actually caused this problem. Yep. Probable causes. Uh, More than one. Hmm? Causes. The accident was caused by the loss of an engine during a critical phase of flight, the non-retraction of the landing gear after the engine failure, and the captain, the pilot not flying, taking over control of the airplane before having clearly identified the problem. Yes. The following factors probably contributed to the accident. The perfunctory flight preparation, which meant that the crew were not equipped to face the situation that occurred at a critical moment of the flight. The coincidence between the moment the failure occurred and the request to retract the landing gear. The speed of the event that left the crew little time to recover the situation. Maintaining an inappropriate rate of climb, taking into account the failure of one engine. The absence of any teamwork after the engine failure, which led to a failure to detect and correct parameters related to the conduct of the flight. Speed, rate of climb, configuration, etc. The takeoff weight being close to the maximum with a high aerodrome altitude and high temperature, and the rocky environment around the aerodrome unsuitable for an emergency landing. I concur with all of that. Yes, that was a perfect storm of very deadly. As always. Yep. There are four recommendations. These are all pretty simple. They recommend that Air Algier, along with other operators, ensure that their CRM-type training programs effectively heighten crew awareness of the strict respect required for handover procedures and task sharing. Yeah, pretty self-explanatory. Yeah. Everyone else does this training. That was probably the biggest failure of them all. Mm Mm-hmm. They recommend that the Civil Aviation and Meteorology Directorate set up an organization to inspect the application and conformity of the procedures in training programs for flight crews. Yes. Also seems pretty self-explanatory. They're asking that basically their FAA set up a program for safe flight. Yes. Which, to add on to that, they recommend that the Civil Aviation and Meteorology Directorate ensure that Air Algier and other operators set up a flight safety program that associates feedback and systematic analysis of flight data. So actually taking the data from each flight and tying it back to the training of the crews. Showing that training is effective or not effective, where training needs to be improved. This last one is still not in effect. Yes, and this one doesn't have to do with any of those things. They recommend that the Ministry of Transport set up a permanent organization for the investigation of civil aviation accidents and incidents. Algeria still does not have an independent investigation board for aviation accidents. Nope. So they don't have an NTSB of their own. They still use the French BEA. 
Well, and they set up a commission of inquiry. Right. But it's basically like the BEA is doing most of the work. Yes, exactly. Because they have the capacity to do so. They have the labs. Yep. They have the technology. Yep. And the... Manpower. And the background. All know what they're doing. So. That's the whole thing. That's it. That was Air Algier? Yep. I don't know the flight number. Flight 6289. Thank you. Or 62420s and 9. <laughs> yes, if you speak French. Thank you so much for listening. As always, if you're not a patron and you want to see what's included with Patreon, you can look two places. You can look on Patreon and look us up, or you can go to our website. All that stuff is there for you as well. Make sure if you're a patron and you're buying merch to use your discount code you do get exclusive merch from us for free you also well not for free i guess because you're paying for patreon whatever uh, included yes you also get discount codes on any of the merch on the website so take a look at that if you want to make sure again you send us stories we appreciate stories last call final call and last call (laughs) for stories and then Remember, if you have any recommendations, you can always email us or message us anywhere. doesn't matter where. We'll see it. We'll let you know if we've already had it, if we can do it, and when to expect it. So thank you so much for listening. Have a safe and healthy week, and we will catch you all next week. Keep your speed up. Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi from Not a Monster, Not a Boogeyman. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.